everyone. In this episode of History Unloaded with Danny and Ashley, we're going to, I don't think we've ever talked about this before. I'm surprised because it feels like, like some of the episodes so far this season have touched on things we've talked about before. And I think that's good because it's always fun to revisit things. But this one, yeah, how this have we missed different. this so far? Uh, well, I mean, like we've had these people... Uh, I'm getting there, Camila. <laughs> Camila's ha- like motioning at us to like, very like come on. She's like, let's do this. Um, it's about uh, building up some tension. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, so we've had these people on the air before, lots of yes. them actually. Several but we've have never us. talked to them about them. <laughs> we've never talked about. We talked to them, not about them. Yeah, we talk- So this is their behind the back <laughs> story, and that's of course, of course, because we clearly do this up correctly. Uh, Gun influencers, like people in the world, well, I guess the social media world, that influence others. And, I mean, when I say that, that's a really broad um, topic. But, like, and the reason I'm saying that specifically is because we've had people on, like, um, Ian McCollum, but we've also had people on, like, Chris Chang, who are different types of gun influencers. Um, And so... We wanted to first talk about something that actually was a subject of a symposium a couple of years ago where we invited uh, both academic both uh, academic historians, museum professionals, and then these online researchers. And the basis of a lot of that conversation was the fact that a lot of online researchers like Forgotten Weapons, like CN Arsenal, are actually doing really good work. Like they've got the time with their, you know, supporters who fund a lot of their projects. Like they have a lot more time than like a museum professional or professor to really dig into the meat of this and and more passion, I would say. Um, And so like we had them come on because they're doing really good work, despite the fact that the online community tends to get kind of made fun of. Well, I have two things. The first thing is a tangent because for our listeners, we're doing this entire episode all three of us wearing sunglasses inside a recording studio with a window to the museum. So we just had visitors like walk up and point at us and I think probably leave disgusted at us. Um, I think that that's not as funny as it looks. It probably is. I think we think sounded, we're clever. And it we actually sound sounded like super douchey, but like if you walked by, I think you'd think it's funny. Maybe not those people though. Secondly, I think the rise of these influencer, influencers And one of the reasons we wanted to make sure they were a part of that symposium is because we saw them filling a gap. And I think they, you know, jumped in and did it for a number of reasons, passion, interest, whatever. Um, But intentionally or not, they filled a big gap in academia. Academia was ignoring firearms history and still largely does. And they wanted to get into it and find out more about it and get it out there. So they just did it. And resultingly, have created a lot of interest in the topic and done some very good, um, in some cases, primary source research that illuminates topics in ways that nobody had before. Well, and you know, to some extent, this isn't a new concept because, I mean, obviously the internet and the YouTube, the YouTubes, Ooh, I, weird. oh my gosh. <laughs> I was going to ask if we were influencers, but you just ruined it. We are not. You we just call not. it the YouTube. We're not influential. But, um, you know, this, this hole in academic scholarship in the United States, because Europe is far more accepting of firearms and arms and armor scholarship than we are yes. um, in the university system. But this hole was filled by gun collectors for a really long time. So 
the people who had the firearms were studying what they had, were going out and looking for things to fulfill their collection, which we were ta- we've talked about gun collectors a lot here. But so the, the online community is similar to that type of scholarship, but because of the ability to access so much more content now online, which then leads them to other places, and then some people can speak other languages, which also helps in the scholarship outside of the country, you know, they're like the progression of it, but they have access to so much more information. And so there, I mean, honestly, I think most of those channels are, <laughs> my stomach just did something really weird. I'm not sure. Did you hear it? Uh, the... I heard it. I thought it was me. Me <laughs> too. <laughs> oh my God. It was, it was good. Um, so <clears throat> where was I? No one was listening? Okay. So basically, they have access to a lot more research, and I really do think that um, to some extent, these people are producing far more scholarship, debunking a lot of you know information that was considered fact for a really long time. And I almost I called them before this like super researchers. You know, they're the people that kind of have the time to go out. And they also have the luxury of not dealing with bureaucracy, with the exception of like the bureaucracy coming behind social media of right. being able to to profit off of gun history on YouTube not, and that kind of thing. But Right. They they are they have run afoul. We know virtually everyone we know has talked to us or talked about publicly running afoul of the various social media algorithms, but they're not beholden by an institution, you know, like, you know, at some level, I get to do a lot of what I want in research terms at the CFM, but it's also beholden to my time, my other time commitments. Um, And I'm in a relatively free bureaucracy when it comes to research, whereas other institutions, you know, universities, it might be a much different picture. Yeah. And that's something that I remember years ago before we hired Danny actually we I was allowed to hire an assistant curator and then they went on a hiring freeze and then I was allowed to hire ultimately Danny and I remember I asked thanks for that by the way <clears throat> yeah you can thank Ian McCollum um, I actually like totally oblivious to like the uh, the community I knew Ian and you know I, I asked him I'm like would you be interested in this position which actually is like super insulting so like I'm really glad he didn't take personal offense to that uh, not that the assistant curator position is insulting but like Ian's level of knowledge you know and his presence is ins- it was insulting <clears throat> excuse me there's a lot of like bodily functions happening in this episode sorry y'all and so I asked Ian if he'd be interested and he <laughs> went on the internet <laughs> and posted that like he was just asked to work in the museum field like it wasn't like rude but like the comments were rude and like it was just this like i like i didn't realize the hatred of museums and the online gun community that follows ian and so um there was like this like oh my god that's so ridiculous bureaucracy and like they were right um but i remember that kind of translated over to the first video i did with ian which talked about my role in the museum and you know the museum field and i remember there were some pretty nasty comments about me because they were like, oh, well, she's just a museum, you know, museum curator. She's a, you know, a part of, she's a bureaucrat. She doesn't know anything about firearms. You know, all this stuff because the perception is, is that if you're running a museum, you don't necessarily know anything about your collection. And that's more of a museum director who's there to run the museum. And sometimes they come up through the ranks and sometimes they come from more of the business world. But it was the only nice thing about that was there were like Ian's commenters are so loyal that they like literally Googled me and they were like, 
is this her? Because, like, she's super qualified. And, like, they burned them for me. Like, Ian didn't have to do it. Um, but it was this weird world and connection between where, like, I, you know, thought that Ian's knowledge would lend itself to the museum. And, in fact, it it was totally the wrong environment to cultivate that type of scholarship. And right. other people saw it, but I didn't see it because, you know, when you think about a museum, I think people think that there's far more research that goes on or we have far more time. Right. People think we, we have do. a lot more time than we do. But, you know, and I think some of those comments are probably too it's been a few years since that all went down. So even oh God, in the it's last been like seven years in the last, I would say four to five years, things have started to change in that. I think public facing, you know, like Jonathan Ferguson's doing regular YouTube videos talking about guns in the Royal Armories collection. Um, you know, we've done a bunch of social media work. Ian's interviewed a lot of curators. So people are getting to see a face. These are knowledgeable people. They just don't necessarily have the time to put a lot out there. And we don't necessarily have the depth of knowledge on the subject matters that like CN Arsenal and Forgotten Weapons, um, you know, and the uh, Firearms History blog. That's not... Uh, historical Firearms? Historical Firearms, yeah. You're Matt Moss? Uh, Matt Moss, yeah. Um, you know, we we don't... You know, we can know a little bit about a lot and then we can have specialties within our, you know, macro knowledge. But, you know, we to some extent, we can't get so bogged down in all of those details because then how do you then disseminate that to the public being a museum public that doesn't necessarily want all that information? You know, you go to Ian's page, you want all that information. So we have to find a way to bridge the gap to some extent. And that's why a lot of people who are like, oh, I'd love to work in the museum field who come from more of the gun collector world. It's kind of one of those things where it's like you may be really good at this job, but like you also think you're handling guns a lot more than we do. Well, and I think it's, in some ways, it's a credit to the various gun influencers that we're talking about that we've gotten a slightly better reputation as knowledgeable people because in the old school collecting world, and I think going back to that academic model, the model was like curators were academics that didn't get tenure at universities. So that was already a dig at them. And then collectors in that old, old collecting world, it was collectors sort of had the gatekeeping of the knowledge. And like if, you know, you wanted to write a book on, you know, a specific gun, you went around to various, you know, collectors that had the stuff, you might visit a museum. Generally, though, museums in those realms didn't get a ton of credit. Like I can go back and look at some old Winchester books and it'll be like, like, I know the collection was here. The photo credit goes to Olin. I know the like when you wrote this book, this gun was here. It was in our possession. The photo came from this archive. The credit went to Olin. The museum doesn't get mentioned. And uh, by and large, the work, the book is viewed as a product of that author without a lot of the contribution. Even if sometimes, even if the author acknowledged it, but not always, they didn't always. But now Ian and others have been like very public about, you know, go see this museum. This person was helpful, you know, and that goes whether it was a collector or another channel or an institution like us. Um, So in some ways, I think we owe that we have a better reputation among the online collecting community to influencers, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, going back to the theme of this season about new gun owners, I think and I, I feel pretty confident in this assertion, you know, those 
those online channels are going to be the gateway for them. So we talked right. you know, about collecting and how do you get the collectors. And I think it's, you know, people who are new gun owners trying to, you know, figure out as much as they can during the pandemic. You know, maybe you can't go to the range or do these things, take these classes. Or can't so visit you can, a museum. Yeah, can't visit a museum. And so, like, the these online influencers are going to influence um you know and be their basis of knowledge and it's not just people like ian people like othias it's also you know there are like actives you know actives active self-protection active self-defense um i'm gonna mess that up but like he has a youtube channel and he's Mm self-defense um you know so you can also get a lot of these like training advice from these people and they teach real world classes but then they also have a big online presence and that one i think it's active self-protection their youtube channel focuses specifically they take footage from crimes um that occur so like at a gas station or police camps and they analyze and break down you know what was done right what wasn't done right in this scenario could it have changed if they had done something else so that can be super valuable if you're trying to kind of figure out one how to do it yourself but then also like i think it also gives a sympathy um for you know different people who are you know using firearms because it shows how quickly it can happen you know in real time and that kind of thing but um, those channels are also really prevalent so new gun owners i feel like are getting thrust into the online community more so especially during the pandemic and so they are seeing these people so they're the front line you know we hope that that bleeds into our role um you know because people like ian do reviews of our museum and so Mm -hmm. maybe when they want to travel that would be something that would influence them to come here like we talked about in the last episode um but the other you know and i guess i've got two things so let's start with this one and then we'll transition off because i think this the second one is a bigger topic but like you said we are on social media like we do videos we make posts we do that but we don't have the audiences like we don't have the growth of you know these other influencers from other disciplines within the firearms community and so the question is i guess it's not really you know necessarily one question but it's like um obviously i think we continue to put this material out but it's hard for us because we have a job you know and there's no one at least in most museums like this that can just a hundred percent work on those things so like are we competing with them are we trying to compete with them you know is our social media actually you know something that someone who's a new gun owner would even find uh you know what is like the museum's role in social media when you've got these you know basically these you know huge 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 presences that have built their community um over time and now those be the first people but do we influence should we influence you know what's that role i mean one you you've passed the mark of like you're following on social um there's like thresholds for what marketing people consider like influencer and micro influencer i'm a micro influencer nano influencer i think you've crossed from micro to just regular i think thank you i think Based on some, I, I'm, those numbers have probably all changed since the last look, I last looked at them. But I tried because for a while I ran like the bulk of my job was running the CFM social media. If I wasn't working on renovation, it was on CFM social, and then everything else was like after those two things. Yeah. And I, I took a lot of cues from ongoing influencers. I took. Um, a lot of sort of social media strategies in recent years, which incorporate influencers. Like if 
I imagine our listeners at this point are pretty well aware of the trends, but like interns don't run social media anymore. Like that's long dead. And if you are viewing, if you are viewing things like Instagram or Facebook or whatever, like there is lots of people paid behind the scenes. We're talking about influencers, like sort of putting out gun content from sort of a passion um, perspective, but there's also sort of that side where somebody gets just enough followers to start getting paid by somebody, and then they'll go say whatever they want because they can make money on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was paying attention to all those various social media strategies, and I tried to build like the CFM Instagram, our Reddit account, like our all those things as almost a gun influencer. Like I was posting content, not like a museum, but more similar to how they would. I wasn't doing videos necessarily like Ian would because that takes a lot of production. And for all the people like, you know, taking in this content, there's so much work that it takes to run, like just the amount of stuff that Ian produces or CN Arsenal or um, historical firearms, like any of these people that are out there producing content, it's a ton of work. So before you just like rag on them before, because their audio is off in an episode or something like that, it's such, it's so much work. Or us. We or always us. get ragged on by our video and audio, except for Camila's work with the podcast, for the most part. Sometimes I screw up by not having a mic. I was very much an amateur running AV. Camila's a pro. Yeah. Um, but anyways, that segue aside, I tried to shape it like that. So I... I kept our voice very light, somewhat irreverent. I still do when I post, um, but we just, we as the museum have lost the, you know, as we get more responsibilities and less staff, certain things have to drop off the to-do list. And one of the first to go, unfortunately, because it gets us a lot of coverage and a lot of, you know, chance to reach, you know, new gun owners that we've been talking about is social media. So right now our social media is pretty inactive and so we're missing out on an opportunity. Um, but I, th- I would say I tried to shape that like yeah. more based on influencers than museums. Well, and the other thing that like when I was the assistant curator um, that I reached out, you know, because I started uh, the Facebook page. I theoretically started the Instagram page and then fun fact, I actually stole the Instagram page and merged it into my page because it was like there were like five posts. And then when you came on, we, I started a new yeah, one. you started a new one. And um, I think you had Twitter too. Oh yeah, I, I did Twitter, but like tweets, I, Twitter's just rough, man. I think it's very toxic. I mean, I think social media in general can be really toxic, but Twitter's like up there. Um, not like 4chan, but up there. Um, so, the, but the one thing that I did to bring, um, you know, to bring... Uh, a larger audience to the museum because when when I came on, like nobody knew what the museum was anymore unless you mm-hmm. were like a dinosaur. And even the gun industry, like to some extent, unless you were like a career gun industry person, uh, you didn't know what it was. So what I did was I partnered with not necessarily influencers because influencers are, you know, for the most part, individuals right. with individual personalities. So they're not letting me come on as a personality unless we're doing like an interview. So what I targeted was uh, different magazines, radio show, television shows that had a much wider reach than us. Like some, you know, magazines have 500,000 to a million followers similar to the online influencers. And so I would, you know, I had the content. They had the money. That was actually really nice. I I missed that world. Uh, You know, we could talk about, you know, our artifacts on their platform and then all of a sudden, it grew our audience. So, like, it's hard when it's just your platform and you're trying to get it out there, especially when you can't pay to promote for the most part. And even that sucks now. 
Um, so what I did was I went out to the places that had the audience and I right. talked to them. And because I wasn't, you know, an old white guy, I was a girl. And like, you know, I acknowledged this, you know, I what they everyone was far more interested in putting me on camera um, than, you know, the curator at the time, who, again, was like. 80 something and that's not an exaggeration he actually was um so you know we got the opportunity then more so in the in the beginning than a lot of places would because just of my gender um but that's what i did i i reached out to other channels that weren't necessarily influencers but had an influence within the gun world and also the bridge the print and online media world like outdoor life i did a lot of stuff for outdoor life now i do a lot of stuff for recoil so you know i recognized really quickly that we as an institution couldn't compete with these you know influencers and online communities so i went out to them and let them do the promotion I mean, and the dissemination i mean that's why they're called influencers right yeah. like that's a very traditional marketing thing is like somebody that's looking for growing their audience and doesn't know where to start like reach out to people that have that and that's how a lot of influencers make their money or their livelihood. Um, but then when, by the time I came around, we had established enough of an online presence through your work that I could, you know, strike out and starting a CFM Instagram, we could broadcast that on our other social. People would come over and follow us and then we could post content and people would start to follow that organically. Because um, so all of our stuff, um, for people to understand, is organic because of the inability to really pay to promote even back like when paying to promote was a thing so like what people don't maybe don't realize and i guess if you're a new gun owner you may not realize this as you're looking at content but there's a lot of restrictions being placed on gun channels like people being demonetized on youtube like his historic videos about like old guns that don't exist anymore are getting flagged and because people who are doing that review like you know you may get someone that like doesn't care you may get someone that really hates guns and so a lot of that content is being super regulated by the online community and we don't really have an alternative yet. And there's channels that people go to. But so when you as a new gun owner are trying to seek out that information, it is becoming more and more difficult. My page is 100% organic, which is why, and, and anyone starting out from scratch now was probably 100% organic because, you know, there's just no ability to really promote beyond. Facebook's always like, you could promote this post. And I'm like, no, I can't. Um, you know, so, so when you start that, getting a new influencer present, it, presence is a lot I'm not trying to discredit all the people who have huge presences like that have been building for a long time because they've been building and working their butts off for a long time. But it's really hard now to get a start. Well, and it's I've heard a couple of takes on this because there, there's like windows of opportunity almost, it seems like, in social media. Like, and it's different based on platform. But, um, yeah, like we, you know, when it started out, nobody here was really going to give us the budget to fund because museums are very much behind the times with social media. So, yeah. like, I joke that... Except the National Cowboy Museum. They, yeah, they, yeah, they planned for they what happened. They won the pandemic. Yeah, they did. and But lots of museums followed up with success. Um, they certainly weren't the only ones to see success. Yeah. And they did because they had a plan. But well, museums, they, played into the, they played into museums. Not knowing. <laughs> not knowing by having the, what, the, the custodian. Uh, the head of security, I think. Yeah, who may have just been a marketing person. I don't know. But No, he's a real person. Oh, he's a real person. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But anyways, museums as a whole, and what we're talking about is they, you know, I, I sort of explained to our listeners, but you already know, like, Social media is not really done by interns anymore, except in the museum world where admins almost always like 90 percent of museum administrations understand or only just now realizing that social media is 
not done by interns. Yeah. Um, or they assume that it is, and they don't have the budgets for it. We're a relatively large institution, and when we were starting our social media, like there wasn't the money there to put towards sort of, you know, paid promotions or that kind of thing. So we had to grow organically. And then we got to the point where it's like, all right, we have a little bit of funding we could throw at this. What do we do? Um, and we tried out like paid posts and then they all just ran afoul of, you know, they were guns, even though they were, one of them wasn't even guns. It was just three ladies working in a factory and like YouTube flagged us for that one or not YouTube, uh, Facebook flagged us for that one. This episode sponsored by Running Afoul. Running Afoul. <laughs> If that is a brand anywhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so I think the other part of this, um, which let's shift gears a little bit, because um, we can lament about our struggles right. on social media, is as a new gun owner and you are searching and you're getting these frontline people that are now, you know, disseminating knowledge to you. And I know, like, so the gun history world, like, we could be lying to you uh, about the history and, like, what, I mean, we're doing damage, but, like, <laughs> you know, it's not... You know, it's not the level of like people go on and try to learn self-defense techniques. And like there's a lot of like there's a lot of influencers out there that put out really bad stuff that can, you know, hurt you in the long run. Um, and so this gets into, you know, an old school conversation, which is that gun collectors, you know, wrote a lot of the history for a really long time. And some were amazing at it. And some weren't. And so there was no proper vetting system for what was quality and what was not. And at the same time, the vetting system in the academic community, which is a peer-reviewed system, if you don't have peers, then the peer review falls flat because they can't possibly call you out on certain things. So like actual historical information about the firearms themselves, you know, they get, you know, it can be wrong. And we've seen that and we've complained about that in the past. So now that you have an online community with a lot of really good, you know, information, but how does a new gun owner know the difference, you know, because this can be fatal, especially in the self-defense world. Um, And that world is very like, they fight each other a lot on technique and different things. But like, you know, how is, a new gun owner and really anyone that's a gun owner like how are they supposed to know who's who's putting out good content and who's putting out bad content well and we we briefly sort of touched on this on one of our interviews and uh, I think the smell test doesn't get enough credit for like being an effective sort of filter of knowledge because right in in the old school system we talked about sorry what's the smell test like just like sort of your gut reaction, your oh. sniff test. Like, does I this, was like, who's farting through YouTube? Have we gotten like smell vision? Like, I'm part of a ongoing YouTube project. <laughs> we bring a multi like sensory experience. I have a theory about that old guns have a distinct smell based on manufacturing. Right, anyways, I've I've definitely sniffed a Winchester. <laughs> anyways, sorry, I'm not even going to say the thought that I had in my mind, but go ahead. Um. I shouldn't have invented that on the podcast. Uh, That's so creepy. I can't even. (laughs) It's a thing. Anyways, collectors, as you mentioned, used to be sort of the gatekeepers of firearms knowledge. And in theory, they weren't the rigorous system of academia. There was sort of good and bad content getting out there. Academia's way around that was the peer review system that people will check this content so that in theory, all of our content has going out has been reviewed by experts in the field and it has some vetting. But that, again, like you said, that falls flat if no one's actually doing firearms history content, which was the case with mo- mostly the case with academia. So still now, is. Still is. So now we get to this case where it's largely driven by firearms influencers that are doing historic content. 
And so that is the dialogue around firearms history because museums don't have the time necessarily to contribute a lot. So the bulk of the debate happens there on YouTube or other social media. So how do you know which is right and which isn't? And if you pay close enough attention, it's almost like a, a dialogue goes on. And it's sort of this democratization of content. And it gets to be where you have a lot to pick from. And it gets really, I mean, it takes a little while to develop it, but start to pay attention to the comparisons and you can see how things line up and you can start to kind of catch clues on um, who's doing something in a more rigorous manner versus who's just cashing in on an opportunity because, you know, doing an old gun video is really popular right now. And, you know, somebody like CN Arsenal goes out and they post a video and they talk about the books they used to reference in an episode. So then you can go back and if you really want to, you could pick up one of those books. Ian does it sometimes too. Um, you go on Matt Moss's blog and you check that and he normally posts a link to sources. So there, you know, you can start to see, all right, these guys are posting sources. So they're okay with me in theory, checking these out and seeing if it lines up or if it's a different take. Whereas, you know, some others might just say something and they don't have anything. They don't give you a way to back that up. Well, like and you, you can said, start to see the difference in who's putting out, you know, good versus it might be okay content and start to develop a little bit of a gut check. Two things to that one. You already mentioned earlier that that was, you know, kind of the tradition of gun collecting books, you know, is that some cited sources, some didn't. The second part of that, though, and this is just like going to blow your mind, but like you're saying, you know, these people cite sources, but if we're saying the sources are not vetted and they might be crap, is it better? But it gets to a point where you ha where the community starts to do a real-time evaluation. So the peer review doesn't ha happen in – I didn't say this well, but what I was getting at is the peer review doesn't happen in academia. So that system fell flat. Now it happens or is starting to happen almost in real time. Yeah. In, in comments. On social media. So – and we've seen this happen. Like I've put out a, you know, a post on something and I mess up. Like – I will find out about it in the comments. Like someone will come and be like, I remember one, I posted uh, one of our cutaways and it had an 86 style receiver. So I just like, oh, look, it's, this is a cool 86 cutaway. And it was like really simple pose, like really basic level of knowledge. And somebody's like, um, that's, that's actually a model 71. Cause it has this different spring in it. And I was like, oh, that's something I should have known. And, and, and that's a, like a really basic example. And that's not really checking sources, but other than the, object itself. But this kind of fact checking happens in real time. And because there's so much better digital access to archives, you know, sometimes like a discord channel or a YouTube comment section, there could be a link to the actual archival documents. If you really wanted to post it as, you know, proof of what you're saying, or I've even done this in Reddit posts. Like I've talked about something as a Reddit post as the museum. And somebody's like, like one, a really great one was the cost of something. Like I talked about an original Winchester and I said, oh, this would have cost, you know, X number of dollars. And somebody's like, well, that doesn't seem right. How do you know that? And then I was able to like post the link to the digitized McCracken advertisement for that Winchester and be like, because of this, like yeah. that's how we know. Um, and so, yeah, you just have to be careful of those pitfalls. And then I think, it, you know, just to kind of talk about towards the, you know, to conclude with this and we can talk about it for a little bit. But um, so new gun owners, 
are able to kind of get that information a lot faster than they could before. Although the vetting system, you know, it's happening, but like they have to kind of keep an eye out for it. But I think the great part about social media um, and influencers, and there's obviously, you know, bad things about this, but um, there are more and more social media channels that are fighting the norm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, hopefully people aren't scared away by some of the super angry pages, you know, that, that hate everybody and everything. And But they start to see, you know, other people like Black Guns Matter. Like, you may not agree with everything, you know, that he says, but like he's reaching a new demographic. Trenchwork Chronicles are, um, you know, the so you start to, I think we've been able to kind of capture or we're starting to see a market where social media is becoming far more progressive and accepting than the real world gun orgs, gun communities. And I think that's a neat opportunity. Yeah. Um, well, uh, <laughs> well, I get what you're saying. You <laughs> just said yes. And like I that thought was... you were about to say more. So I wasn't, okay. I was just like okay, agreeing. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Like, Whatever. <laughs> we're so good at this. Um, no, what you're saying is right. It's like, it is a, it's an opportunity to engage where it might be hard to find that entry point in person. Um, and social media, like all this, inf- you know, all the new firearms influencers and this growth of social media as a way to engage with firearms history and firearms in general, you know, that's all it can be. It's a little intimidating for a new gun owner at first because there's so many pitfalls, like how, you know, like we said at the beginning of this, how do you know that somebody's putting out good info? Um, but at the same time, it's almost the best time because there's lots more opportunity to engage. And, like, I think it's it's also just a matter of, like, being willing and open-minded to eventually learn, like, hey, this thing I heard when I was just getting into guns actually isn't true because – and here's somebody that put out a really good reason why. Because that's that happens to us. You know, that's – you know, I, I learn stuff about guns and I relearn stuff all the time. And I've been doing this a while now and I'm, you know – now a curator of a major collection. So that's not something to necessarily be afraid of, I guess, is like there's going to be a few bumps along the way on any kind of journey like this. And because there are so many out there and because because social media is real time, because it you know reaches a broader uh, audience and because there's not one solitary set of gatekeepers anymore, you get to find out really quickly, or a lot more quickly, I should say. You know, I referred to the bumps along the way of finding out new information. Like, for that used to be, all right, somebody publishes a book. The R.L. Wilson of the world publishes a book. And that book is it. And if you want to challenge that book, you have to go dig up an archive. In You have to find where the archive is. you got to go there in person. you got to dig through everything find something that might disprove it, set the record straight, whatever, then write it down in your own book, get that put out there and that published. And that's like, that's the level of the dialogue. Now it's somebody posts a video. I have a really good source over here that says, otherwise, here's my counterpoint to their video. And like, you can watch that happen. So I think it's for new gun owners. It's not, it's, there's intimidation there that there can be bad knowledge. But the good knowledge, like the good info gets out there much quicker. Well, and I think for me, I just I meant less about the intimidation of knowledge and good knowledge versus bad knowledge. And I just meant kind of like, you know, 
super hardcore people. Oh, uh, I mean, that's true. There, you know, but that's always been... Yeah, it's always been around. Um, you know, and I think going back to our previous episode where we talked about new museum techniques and how do you reach out to, you know, a wider swath of people. And I think that, you know, maybe it's not individuals in the gallery. Maybe it's not, you know, you know your playlist. Uh, I mean, your playlist is cool. But uh, maybe it's, you know, having all of these different influences out there that are someone you can relate to. Like, right. a, like Chris. Yeah. You know, like Dime Muller, like the, you know, Julie Gollum, you know, those people have, you know, and that's why, like, we have that modern shooting sports gallery. You know, we are tapping in currently to that kind of modern influencer presence. And that modern influencer can reflect um, somebody better. Um, it can, you know, if you find that audience, you can find your community and realize it doesn't have to be a certain way. But at the same time, we are limited in what we can and cannot say because we are not an advocacy institution like we were talking about bef- like before did we ever influence anyone to be a new gun owner, right. which is not our goal. But those people then communicate um, you know, their opinions and their personal things. And so we as you know, historians, as museum professionals can utilize their presence, um, but then those people can kind of go off and find uh, – the new gunners can go off and find those people that uh, better align with their views yeah. and feel not alone in the present in the knowledge that you know they're not alone that it's not necessarily what you know when you go into like a gun range and you may not see uh you may see what depends because some gun ranges are becoming more and more you know open about different types of people uh different belief systems but you may go into an old you know you may be in western pennsylvania and you may get you know your typical gun range calling out wpa (laughs) i mean i'm from there and i know that actually there's a lot of good gun ranges there but i was just kind of mentioning like the old school hunting culture all that stuff you know, you may go in and you may not see anybody that, you know, you feel like you can relate to. And so I think that there is a positive there. And then I'm going to, we're going to, like, I want to talk about, you know, possible influence of a usually either beloved or made fun of source. And I think that the impact of gun bunnies, like, there's a potential there for, so gun bunnies um, are, you know, a lot of times they're actually mo- they're real models. Like they're models who pose mm-hmm. with firearms. They do calendars. They do that old school type of, you know, marketing where you see with the car or, you know, firearms right. and all that stuff. But I've noticed more and more super gorgeous women that fit the, you know, stereotype of what we think about with gun bunny posing with guns, going out and doing photo shoots with guns. But they're actually more and more becoming, you know, immersed in the culture. Like, they know how to shoot. Um, they're knowledgeable in self-defense. You know, they have all of these, pre- like, this this ability to influence. I guess it's more of a male culture, so it, it's a little bit, I mean, I as a woman think it's awesome. So, you know, there are women that do find that, but I know it can be off-putting to a lot of women. Uh, but I think that like all of the stereotypical ways to get people that might not you know hear you um you know that's a way to get them in i mean i i said before this podcast i i get disappointed that my selfies tend to get far more likes and comments than my you know historical content but it doesn't mean they're not seeing it you know and i find there's i strike a balance between it and like while sometimes i'm like whatever you know but they're still seeing it even though they may not be reading it or any of that stuff but it's still coming through my page and so i do think that there's you know a role for those people that are sometimes you know exiled from serious gun culture like i'm noticing that more and more they end up being like straight badasses who are running 
running ranges and like doing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of them are veterans. Um, and so it's just really fascinating to me because I think that there's a, there's almost a role for everybody. And I think to some extent, those people, if they want to harness that power for good, um, but if they want to harness that power, they can actually be incredibly influential to maybe starting to uh, change perceptions on who and who cannot you know, be a gun owner. Right. And I think, I mean, you, you talked about this in depth, so I don't want to belabor it, but it's a really important, it's a really big deal that you are no longer like just as straight up as we can get. If you are a new gun owner that happens to be listening to this podcast or, or a gun owner trying to understand, it's a big deal that nowadays those new gun owners, new collectors, whatever, are not limited to fitting in at the local gun range. Yeah. If they don't fit in there, they can go online and find the community they do fit in with. Like that's a that's a big deal. Um, but I, I said I won't belabor that, so we'll move on. I have a question for you. What's your question? Do you consider yourself a gun bunny? Uh, I wish, because <laughs> I like it's. I always told, like I always said growing up, and this is like take it for what it is. But like I always wished that I could pose in Playboy, you know. Like, and I know that's like my my dad would die, but um, like I always like used to say, because like I just always admired that level of beauty. I just think it's cool, you know. And and I don't necessarily. <laughs> I don't understand how like those women like take photos and they look the way that they do and then I think I don't look bad and then I take a selfie and I'm like what <laughs> like how what cell phone magic are you pulling off and I'm not talking about filters because a lot of them don't like these are real photos and I think it's because they ultimately have photo shoots fairly regularly and then they disseminate that content yeah. over time but like I actually like would love to like have well, that like in-app filtering and then outside of app editing there's actually some really cool – it's been interesting to see as like – and this is more like a social media rather than just gun content. But how some um, some influencers, some companies are emphasizing like an actual like no filter, no edit like models for their products, whatever that might be. Um, but yeah, I, I – I I don't post selfies for looks. Like, my Instagram's weird. I, it's mostly biscuits. I have a question for you. <laughs> yes. Do you consider yourself a gun bunny? I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I do not con – the short answer is no, I do not consider myself a gun bunny. But my my social media feed is not super gun heavy. Yeah. Occasionally, I go on a political rant, so and occasionally, you, I post a three-gun So, you match. could be a gun bunny. I could be. There might be an audience that's interested in lanky dudes with guns. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you, the other thing that I think is really cool um, for new gun owners to see, and really for old gun, or, gun owners to see, um, you know, not old as in like old, old necessarily, but like people who've been gun owners for a while, is I love um, the ability in the community to make fun of itself. Um, yeah. like, like Black Rifle Coffee Company. I mean, they, what's that? Like, they have that, like, tactical song that they do. And the, but the funny thing about the, the fact that the industry makes fun of itself so much is that, like, the outside community doesn't get their joking. 
Like, yeah. like they see it as like this. I like I, I've actually seen articles on like toxic masculinity, and they're you like in like the photos and the pages that they're pulling up are like, oh my god, they're joking. Like they're making fun of you know this idea of the super masculine, you know the the phallic, you know you know the right. phallic images with firearms. And so it's just funny because I think like you know I think it's great for new gun owners to see that we we don't always take ourselves so seriously. But then I think it's funny because I think like outside community people that don't get it, they come in and they're like, wow. And like my example of that is when I was testifying in front of the Senate, you know, the the every town for gun safety person literally and seriously and straight face used the term boogaloo. <laughs> and I felt like I, I had to keep my my shit together because I was like, oh, my God, he just referenced like the boog. And like and it was just so serious. And like everybody like like Blumenthal and everybody was like nodding. And I'm like, oh, my God, the boogaloo. I mean, like, yes, there are probably people that take the boogaloo hella serious and they're like in. But like, but the, now it's just a joke. Like, but now the it's boog just is like a joke. It's like yeah. a meme now. It's a Hawaiian shirt. Like, but they think that like the old big Like, are we going to start? Yeah. Like, are we going to start like, you know, rounding up people in Hawaiian shirts? I feel like that's going to like ultimately like like put a lot of middle aged men in jail for like nothing. Uh, so it's just funny to me because it like it almost trickles out. And then they're like, oh, my God, this is real. They can come for the Hawaiian shirts I have, but they cannot come for my socks and sandals. <laughs> well, and then now the boog, the boog um, is uh, the pink polo from that guy. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it, it's it's interesting because I do think that there's like there. I think the whole conclusion of this episode is there's serious power for new, you know, in the online influencer community, and like a lot of people always go influencers, but like I think in the gun world for sure that they have all this power. You know, new gun owners are able to not only get Get really rich history, but they're able to see themselves in a lot of different audiences, which is great. But you also have with that power comes responsibility, you know. Okay, Uncle Ben. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, because at the same time, are you talking about the rice? <laughs> no, I'm talking about Spider Man. Oh. <laughs> that was a Spider Man reference. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. The rice. You know, he's watching you. Uh, <laughs> with power comes great responsibility. You know, so it is kind of tempering that, like, what is, you know, good for new gun owners? How do they get that information? How can we help them understand, you know, what are positive influencers and what are negative influencers? And how, and how can you convert people who, like, are perceived and, like, written off? Like, they're harnessing and they're doing a lot more with their role than I've seen before. And so I, just, I think it's just a really neat, um, you know, a arena that I think got made fun of and then somehow like it's kind of like Wikipedia everyone makes fun of Wikipedia and yeah you shouldn't cite that in your big old book but like it's actually a great place to get started if yeah, you don't know useful. what you're talking about um, and there are sometimes really good footnotes on Wikipedia that you can then like you know utilize yeah. to find other information you know so what starts out and and can still be considered a joke influencers are actually I think a great tool for the new gun you know owning community to ultimately get into gun collecting to get into finding places like museums but then also to realize that their community doesn't have to be so, you know, one note as the media perceives it. Unfortunately, I wish the media would understand how much of a joke we make of the things they think we take seriously. But yeah. with new gun owners representing various things that should hopefully trickle down and, you know, the general public could start to learn like, hey, we're not like all, you know, super conservative, you know, religious, you know, all of the things that they say we are. Um, you know, so I think it's I think that ultimately I think influencer, you know, roles, at least with the gun community and all of the different ways are really 
good for new gun owners. I mean, just imagine, like, even 20 years ago, or like you know, 10 years ago, going to the range with, like, an outlandishly painted rifle. Like, some of the Cerakote jobs you see out there are, like, crazy. Some of them are, like, intentionally ridiculous. Stuff that would have, like, gotten you shunned at your local range not that long ago. And now it's, like, not only is it acceptable, it's kind of cool. Well, yeah, my friend um, who was my co-host on, you know, Discovery Channel Master of Arms on Discovery Plus, uh, <laughs> Zeke has, Zeke Stout has a Hello Kitty AR. Yeah. I also know several people who specialize in, like, sneaky peepees on guns. <laughs> <laughs> Like it's a thing. Like it's a whole. It's a whole thing. Like that. Oh, I've 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 spent enough time on the various subreddits around guns to know, that to know what you're talking about. Like I have so like I know people that go on my hog hunt that like this is what they do and I'm, like and it's sneaky though. Like they I don't think they like always tell their friends that they've put them on there. So like they're like super hidden. But right. then like when you when you see it, you can't unsee it. Well, and like. Just a little clue, like if a company is engaging, like we use the museum as as an example, since I engage so much or did, I don't as much anymore because we don't have the time, but I'm posting on Reddit as the museum. Before I'm posting on Reddit as the museum, I have to pay attention to like the, to gun it or one of the other subreddits to know what's happening so that I can be somewhat relevant to the conversations that are at. So that means I have to read Reddit posts, which <laughs> means I often have to read the comments. So like... You're Just, aware. Like, companies that are participating in those social medias are generally aware of the conversation, even if they don't reference it or mention it directly. So I'm going to end on the fact that this is just further proof why museum professionals really shouldn't be influencers because no. you just talked about how you have to go on a subreddit to do research to remain relevant. Like, all the, like old-timey buzzwords. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm like, absolutely, like, yeah. just uh, old dude pretending to be hip to the kids. <laughs> hip to the youth. Danny, the the, the, Danny had to tell me what the boogaloo was. I didn't know. Yeah, I remember that conversation. You, like, texted me, like, what's the boogaloo? Like, I literally, <laughs> like, oh, because it's boogaloo shark, shark from uh, FPC, and I was like, I don't get this. I don't understand what's, what's happening. happening. Um, and, I mean, there have been so many words you've, have to, you've had to explain to me. And it's kind of sad that I'm the one that keeps you relevant. Because you're older than me. I'm older than you, and I'm not like that. Re- I am not that relevant. Like yeah, like you're you're from a farm in West Virginia. Not West Maryland. I know, but like it feels like West Virginia. <laughs> it was surprisingly close. Appalachia. You, we had this whole conversation last night, and we were drink about his family origin. I don't know. Is there any word I could say right now that would reveal my accent? Uh, uh. Arn. Or that's like Pittsburgh too. Arn. Yinzah going downtown to watch them stillers. Like, I maintain our, that our wash instead of wash is actually spelled, if it were spelled, which it isn't, W O R, not W A R. We have to stop. Like, we're done. This we're is done. just degree. Like, this was, I think, an actual decent episode, and we just we just ruined it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Well. Anyways, go on social media. Go on. <laughs> actually, I don't follow. Know if that's we follow us. Wait. Oh yeah, follow us. <laughs> bad at this. Uh, you can follow me uh, on Instagram at History and Heels and on Facebook at Official Ashley Lipinski. If you follow at Ashley Lipinski on Twitter, you're going to be very disappointed. I don't post so often that somebody, um, I posted like for the first time in a year, somebody actually emailed me that I was being shadow banned, which like, don't even get me started. Um, but that I was being shadow banned because my last post was from like the beginning of 2020 and, and I emailed him back and was like, no, nope, I just, I just haven't I, done. I That's like, on my Twitter. And I was like, no one's shadow banning me. I'm far 
not I'm not relevant enough if that's a thing, which I didn't even have that conversation. But if that's a thing, I am not relevant enough for that. You can follow the museum or at Cody Firearms Museum on Insta and Reddit and I think Facebook. And it's at Cody Firearms on Twitter. And we're super not active on Twitter. We're somewhat active on the others. And I'm not giving out my personal influencing. It used to be at Better Gun Curator. It and was, I, and that was I, a great joke. But I, I used to go. be at Gun Curator, and then one second later, he went. He, you know, changed his handle to at Better Gun Curator, but it's not that anymore. So you can't find him. Better history and heels. <laughs> Doesn't work. <laughs> oh, please do. Oh, I should do taller history. <laughs> taller gun history now yes okay so like in five minutes find danny at taller gun history which five minutes and a month from now yep yep talk to y'all later see ya Next week on History Unloaded, we are joined by investigative journalist Nathan Gorenstein to talk about his new book on John Moses Browning. Spoiler alert, it will make most people interested in gun history cry. Check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms.